Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and single humped camels with two hump envy. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means? It's Tea with BVP. Live from Michigan State University's campus, it's your host, BVP, a.k.a. Bill Van Patten, international superstar and diva of SLA. With me are my co-hosts, freshly plucked from the Turing cast of Two's Company, Three is a Dysfunctional Family, Angelica <laughs> Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hi, you two. Wow. Yeah, After that I, introduction. Yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> Hello, Hello, everybody. Yes, hi, everybody. It's great to be here with you. I could see you in that show, Two's Company, Three is a Dysfunctional Family. I think that'd be a great show. Well, want me, I'm a writer. Want me to write a play and, and call it that and put you guys in it? Uh, Not so sure about no. that. Oh, come on. <laughs> Thanks for thinking of us, though. <laughs> oh, come on. You know it's funny, Walter. Admit it. You're smiling. Yes, you are. Okay. On the inside. Uh -huh. On the inside. Okay. All right. Well, I'm back. I made it from my first stop on the Diva Tour. How the 2016. Was it? Oh, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. You know, I went to the Ohio Five, and I had, I had to make a joke because I told them when I first heard I was being invited by the Ohio Five, I thought I was being asked to audition for a Quentin Tarantino movie. I mean, think about that, the Ohio Five. I was going to get guns and everything, you know, and kill a few people and stuff. But nope, turned out just to be a regular old symposium on Saturday. It was a lot of fun, actually. Great group of people. Great group of people. Um, so it's five uh, regional colleges in Ohio plus hmm. Ohio State. And they have a grant from the Mellon Foundation. And they do some great things trying to get people together to talk about language teaching and language program development and so on. So uh, I gave a two-hour interactive, I, I shouldn't say this out loud because the people come up and say, why doesn't he do that for us? But I gave a two-hour interactive um, keynote in the morning and then an impromptu demo afterwards because I could see by the faces that they were having. So I'd, after lunch, I did a, a one-hour teaching of Spanish to a bunch of people who didn't know any Spanish so they could see how that would work. So here's the first day of Spanish for your class. Went really well, I thought so. It was nice. fun. Cool. Next on the tour is the Colorado Congress of Foreign Language Teachers or as I'm hoping it will be, Rocky Mountain High, because, you know, I'm going to go to Rocky Mountain, give me a few drinks. Yeah, that'll, be, that'll be great. Um, <clears throat> and that's at the end of September. So not this week, but next week I'll be there. And I'll also be stopping in the University of Colorado for a visit on my way back. I'm excited about that. So I'm looking forward to seeing everybody in Colorado because they're, you know, Colorado's a fun state. It is. Do we have listeners from Colorado? Oh, do we have listeners? Okay, they're going to be tweeting <laughs> and mixlerizing. I just, just want you to tell us. You just offended a bunch of people. Oh, by oh. the way, do you remember that question we had about what's a Buckeye? Yes. Oh, yeah. And remember you looked it up and you said it was a chicken? Yeah. Well, actually, a Buckeye <laughs> is a nut or something. Yeah, Because Barbara, who introduced Barbara Sahil, introduced me, said, and because you all did not know what Buckeye, so she gave me this candy. Yes. And you didn't bring it? In the, in the form of you blue ate buckeyes. It? Yeah, peanut it's butter home, with chocolate. It's my yeah. yeah, peanut butter chocolate was really good. No, I will be expecting to have some of that uh, next week during the show. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> Barbara didn't tell me to share it. She just gave it to me. Barbara, so. please tweet. Share with Walter and Angelica. It's nice to share. See, this is why it's called <laughs> Two's Company, Three is a Dysfunctional Family. That's why it's, that's why it's called that. Walter wants everything I have. I go, do you see right. that? He yeah. wants everything I have. Who doesn't? I get a new bike, he wants a new yeah, bike. Well, who doesn't? I get a new of pair course. of roller skates, he wants a new pair yeah. of roller skates. I could yeah. never keep up with you, Bill. I know you couldn't. <laughs> Besides, my roller skates are designer roller skates. Have you ever had Gucci roller skates? I have not. Ah, there you go. Mine have little, yeah, like little, little bumblebees on them, you know, that little Gucci signature gold bumblebee thing, you know? Yeah, it's cool. They say Gucci on the back heel. 
Yeah. Wow. They're cool. And how often do and you And they use got them? little and the little things when they when when the little wheel, wheels spin, they sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. Yeah. How often do you use your roller skates? Oh, you know. Never. Once, once every 5 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have any roller skates. I haven't roller skates since I was a kid. My gosh. That used to be the thing to do. I remember when I was in high school, we'd go roller skating on Friday nights. It was fun. No. Did you ever go disco roller skating? Um, I don't recall that. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they played disco music during the roller skating nights, but I don't know that it was ever specific to disco roller skating. Hey, uh. what's the topic today? What's the topic today? <laughs> well, I'm not going to do the topic just yet because I, I have to remind people about the SLA challenge question, oh, right? Yeah. I have to do that first. Well, yes. So remember, everybody, the SLA challenge question. I will give you the question in a few minutes. And the first person to make it to the phones uh, and answer correctly will win a prize. You'll have 10 minutes. And the same thing with the Diva Challenge question. When I throw that question out, you'll have 10 minutes to phone in. It's a really good and an easy Diva Challenge question for people out there. And if you know what disco rose skating in is, I participate. If you call in and prove it to me, I will send you a prize for you. Okay. And of course, we have Angelica's Quote of the Week and Walter's Read of the Week coming up later. Um, the number to reach us at is 517-884-4321. Again, that's 517-884-4321. Dustin is on the phone lines waiting for your call. You can always tweet us at T with BVP or email us, but that's a little slow. Walter's a little slow on the email these days. <laughs> <laughs> and Angelica will be looking at Mixler to see what issues come up because we know that you all are like typing fierce than Mixler. But remember, as we like to say, what kind of show is this, Angelica? A radio call-in show. It's a call-in show. So we're only a call-in talk talk show if you call in and talk to us. So please do that. Don't be shy. Pick up the phone. Put down your can of Pringles. Uh, and uh, dial us at Walter. 517-884-4321. And our final reminder, not our final reminder, but just our last reminder for today of our list of reminders is don't forget our Diva Lip Sync Contest. Entries are due October 15th. Go to our website teawithbvp.com to learn about this fun competition. I'm so... I think we should put one up as an example for people. We need to. Yes, we'll I agree. We'll put the three of us up. Can we do... Oh, no, it has to be a diva. Yeah. Mm. I was going to say we could sing Backstreet Boys or something, but... Th they're divas. Okay. Do you think they would be divas? Yeah. No, Backstreet Boys aren't divas. Well, I think they think they are. <laughs> well, they, maybe in their day they were, but I don't know. I don't know. Okay, should I, should I do the topic for today? Yes. All right. Okay, so today's topic is... Drum roll, Walter. Oh my gosh, look at the two of you. Um, today's topic is the role of the first language in second language the classroom. <laughs> the what? <laughs> the role, the, the drum roll. Drum roll. Yeah, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, not? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two's company, three's a dysfunctional <laughs> family. Okay, so <laughs> today's topic is the role of the first language in the second language classroom. And a series of questions come up with that. Should the teacher ever use the L1, the first language? Should teachers make students speak only in the second language? When is it appropriate to use the first language, if at all? We know everybody out there has thoughts on this. We know there are lots and lots of passionate ideas about this topic out there in T-land. So we hope you'll call in. Um, let me kick the discussion off by, by saying a couple things about this topic um, and reminding everybody that the out, uh, from the outset that we're talking about a communicative classroom here where communication and meaning-making are central to the classroom. So things that inhibit or put roadblocks up to the expression and or interpretation meaning should be watched out for, right? Because we want to keep the communication flowing, right? 
Um, so that's one consideration. And what role does the L1 play in, the, in helping with the expression and or interpretation of meaning in our communicative classrooms? Uh, in addition, I remind everybody that the, the classroom is a particular context with particular uh, participants in a particular setting. That's what context is, right? Setting on participants. And context always influences the nature of communication. So regarding the use of the first language, uh, my thoughts, my initial thoughts are these. If it is necessary to use the first language to keep the communicative event at hand moving along, then why are you guys, okay, you out there in the audience, <laughs> Angelica's about ready to lose it, Walter just lost it. I don't know what the two of you are doing, right in the middle of me giving the topic. Nothing. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. What, what, what happened? Nothing, well, I destroyed your computer. No, you just knocked the screen, you didn't destroy it. <sighs> Notice how I kept going. Yeah, yeah, no, you did Because I'm a pro, yeah, yeah. I know what I'm doing yeah, no, here, I know, I know how to I do know. this. You're the diva. Y'all lost it over a little yeah. screen knocking. I'm just laughing at Angelica. Two's company, three's a dysfunctional family, I'm telling you. Okay, anyway, so back to what I was saying. So regarding the use of the first language, my, my thoughts are basically these. That if it is necessary to use the first language to keep the communicative event at hand, moving along, then we should not tell teachers to avoid the first language at all costs. We shouldn't do that. And so those are, that's my, my first major thought. And then we'll give some examples later. I actually will give an example from the demo I did on um, Saturday uh, at the Ohio Five. Cue the Tarantino music. Okay, anyway, so if you want to get in on this topic, um, call us at 517-884-4321. Again, that is... 517-884-4321. Yay, Angelica knows the phone number. Yay, 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 yay. All right. We got something, by the way, speaking of this topic, we got something fresh off the Twitter press. What's that? We have an online survey that our handy-dandy um, uh, Luca Giappone passed me, um, which um, asked the question, how frequently do you use the L1 in the classroom? And then people had to talk, you know, say, mm -hmm. on a scale. And so, how many people do you think, Walter, don't cheat, you're looking. How many people do you think said never? They never use the L1 in the classroom. 13%. I already saw. I it's 5%. 5% said they never use the L1 hmm. in the classroom. I kind of find that hard to believe, but, you know, maybe, yeah. You find, what, it, you find it hard high? to believe that? Never. Never means never. Never, 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 never. I find that it's hard to find anybody who never uses the L1 in the classroom. 69% um, said they only use it for housekeeping. So they get their brooms out, their mops, and they start talking in the L1. No, just kidding. Um, so 69% say they use it for housekeeping, which I'm assuming is like calling roll or, mm -hmm. you know, or reminding people about their homework and things like that. And then 26% said that they use the L1 quite a bit. That's a pretty significant number, 26. That's somewhere between a quarter and a third. A little more than a quarter of people said that they use the L1 quite a bit. So hopefully some of these people call in and tell us why they use the L1 quite a bit, why some people really claim they never, 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 never do it. Um, so it be interesting to find that out. And we have a few comments from them. We'll save it later on um, uh, in, when we get a little lull in our conversation here. But some of these people chimed in <clears throat> during the survey to talk about when and under what conditions they use the L1. So that's interesting. 
Okay, I'm going to give the SLA challenge question, then we'll come back to some interesting topics. Okay, ready for the SLA challenge question? Yeah. Ready. Okay, this is so easy. This is so you easy, this question. You always say that. Well, because, again, you just Googleize it, and then you know you mm. know what's going on. Okay, ready? Sorry, I'm here's sure the question. I don't know the answer. Sure you do. Okay, which scholars, plural, which scholars ushered in the contemporary era of empirical second language research with their groundbreaking and somewhat controversial study on morpheme order acquisition in the early 1970s. Oh, so easy. Mm -hmm. It no is. Kidding. I repeat, <laughs> which squat? <laughs> you, you almost made me say which squalors. Which scholars, which scholars, unique New York, unique New York, there I got it out. Okay, which scholars ushered in the contemporary era of empirical L2 research with a groundbreaking and somewhat controversial study on morpheme order acquisition in the early 1970s? Okay, um, you got 10 minutes to call in with that one. I know you can do that one. That's easy to find out if you don't know, but it's an important study and we might make sure that you know about those studies. Okay, Walter, do you have a read for us before we uh, Already? Get back to some of these t these questions about the role of the L1. Yeah, give us a read. All right. What's your read about? My read? I'm glad you can read, Walter. That's good. You know, Walter's wife is a reading expert, so this is good. That's right. Uh, my read is from an article that appeared in the Canadian Modern Language Review back in 2001. And I try, I try to find something that had to do with our topic. And this is what I found. I mean, I found a few articles. Um, the reality, though, is that a lot of these articles are, you know, expressing lots of opinions. Not a lot of data. Um, but anyway, someone's opinion here is from someone named Miles Turnbull. And it says, there is a role for the L1 second in foreign language teaching. But dot, dot, dot. And that's the title of it. Yeah. And uh, so I'll read the abstract to you. It says, Cet article reprend... Oh, that's in French. Sorry. Uh, th so it's a Canadian modern language review. Of course so they, they have it in both yep. languages. Yep. yep. Uh, but anyway, uh, this article continues the debate sparked by Cook, 2001, in the most recent issue of the Canadian Modern Language Review, uh, examining when and how much the target language should be used in second language and foreign language teaching and why. In this paper, I agree with Cook that SL or FL so second language or foreign language teachers, should maximize their use of the target language. I also argue that doing so benefits students' target language proficiency, aside from agreeing with Cook that there is indeed a place for the teacher to use students' L1 in second language and foreign language teaching. I also highlight some disadvantages when teachers rely too extensively on the L1. So there's the article, Canadian Modern Language Review, Miles Turnbull, 2001. Off we go. There you go. It's important to know that there's some stuff written about this, but there, as you said, that there's most of these are essays that we find on this topic that people are expressing their beliefs and they're arguing for a position. You know, it's it's a reasoned argument that most of them are giving, but there absolutely is no data that I know of about the role of the L1 in the classroom and any effect it has or doesn't have on the ability to acquire the L2. I mean, obviously, it's intuitive, makes sense, right? You have to use the L2 in the classroom, right? I mean, that's you know, you maximize the L. So the issue really comes down to is when you use the L1, what does it do for students? And there's all kinds of ways to investigate that in terms, is there an affective response that students have? Does it promote comprehension? If so, how? Um, and these things are all measurable. They're, they're all things we could look at. So anybody out there looking for a thesis topic, let me know. Um, anyway, so good. Miles Turnbull, good guy. 
It's been around for, I haven't heard from Miles in a long time, so. Um, all right. Um, so, where are we? Oh, yeah. Um, we are talking about the, um, the role of the L1. And uh, I remember, uh, let me, uh, not I remember, but I'm pulling up from the uh, Twitter press a couple of comments made by people when they answered the survey that Luca handed me. The question was, um, is it ever appropriate to use the L1 in the classroom? So when? And uh, Gina says, only when absolutely necessary for directions and establishing meaning. Uh, let's see. Uh, Laura says, when you need emergency affective filter lowering or for eliminating excuses for not understanding instructions. I like that. Um, and then Senora Susan says, to make L2 comprehensible. I find that interesting. We need to uh, explore that at some point. That's actually one of the examples I can give from, uh, my, um, from my demonstration that I did on Saturday. So those are some of the ideas that, that um, were expressed on the Twitter press. What questions do we have? Any questions? We have lots of questions in email land. Would you like me to read some? I know. Read something because nobody's calling see. in yet. I know. That's crazy. I know. Um, Dustin, you better check those phone lines. This Did we pay our bill for the phone? Is that <laughs> the problem? <laughs> Sometimes it happens, you know. Just this is from, well, this individual does not give his or her name, but rather says reluctant in Jersey. My God, huh. this size. Wow. Is that person on that? What was that show? With the situation and all those kooky and all those people, what was that show? I have oh, no Jersey yeah. Shore, Jersey Shore, wasn't it Jersey Shore? That does exist, yes. Yeah, so maybe Reluctant was from the movie Jersey Shore. Well, well, maybe I, mean, I don't a TV know. show. Not anyway, how can I use ninety percent target language in my classroom, especially lower levels, when my colleagues in other languages do not do the same? So I, I mean, I assume what Reluctant is saying is that. Perhaps students won't want to be there as opposed to other classes where. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't understand what the issue is for this person. Say the, say the question again, Walter. It says, how can I use ninety percent target language in my classroom, especially at lower levels, when my colleagues in other languages do not do the same? Well, yeah. Why wouldn't you? What, no matter what they're doing, why wouldn't you? Um, is she thinking maybe, or he or she thinking that maybe he or she would lose some students. Perhaps I'm not sure. I mean, the only only thing I can think of is if the person's thinking of they get students in their class from those people who haven't heard any French or Spanish or German or Russian, whatever, before they got to that class, um, then they'll be at a low level and it's almost like starting from scratch because they don't understand any of the second language when they hear it. Um, yeah, I mean, but I, if you're I all could, teaching the same thing, if you're all teaching the same level, if that's what the question's about, then why aren't you doing what you want to do? Yeah. Um, so, because it's not gonna hurt the students if they go to the next level to have some comprehension skills and right. some speaking skills, it's not gonna hurt them, so. Well reluctant. If you'd like to clarify your question, feel free to give us a call or send us an email back. Yeah. So that we can maybe answer your question a little bit more easily. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of intriguing. I, this is often happens um, when we talk to teachers uh, across the country. They're concerned about because of what other people are doing and what other people say. Does it affect them and how does it affect them or not affect them and how does it affect their students and so on. And those things are all contextualized. Those are hard to handle in an abstract way. Um, so, um, so my answer always is, well, you do what you need to do in your classroom, um, and you, you, you handle your classroom the way you want to handle it, and things will sort themselves out. Maybe chaotic, but things will sort themselves out eventually. So that's the, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. So, 
All right. Well, I have another question. Are we do ready? I have to pay people to call in today? What's going on? Yeah, I think so. I got students who should be calling. In. Man, they're not. Mm. They're gonna. I'm gonna withhold their grades on their essays. This week. Uh. Watch. Well, I'm gonna get in trouble for saying that, huh? Okay. Well, I have a question here from Jeremy in Tokyo. In Tokyo. All right. right. He says, "I teach at a private English school in Tokyo. We are discussing your podcasts in meetings. Thanks for all your hard work." Yay! Thank you, Jeremy. And he also says, "I'm currently reading your book, Key Terms in SLA." Good well, plug. Thank you, Jeremy. Good plug. He says, during class, we encounter students making mistakes that seem to be because of L1 transfer. However, this happens more when we push them to say things that they're not ready to say. In your words, they haven't acquired the language yet. In your book, you said, because classroom learners may be pushed to produce beyond their current capacity, they will often, they will often create utterances by relying on their L1 and dressing it up in L2 words. I think this is an interesting point. Could you elaborate on this? Sure, sure. And that was Jeremy? That was Jeremy. Thanks for the question, Jeremy. That's a good one. Um, and we may have touched on this last year, but, but it's sometimes it's good to circle back in and, and, and do things again. What ha often happens is people confuse. When students are talking and it looks like the L1, people often call that transfer. Transfer technically is a learning process by which you use the L1 to learn the second language in some way. It either invades the hypothesis space for language in your head so that, for example, um, an example of L1 transfer would be if I'm learning Japanese, if I start by assuming Japanese is subject verb object just like English. Well, of course, the data within 15 minutes tells me Japanese is not subject verb object. Um, but that would be an example of transfer by your underlying system making an assumption about the language you're learning. Um, or uh, another example of transfer would be while you're comprehending language, if your first language doesn't make a phoneme distinction that exists in the second language, you may not hear that distinction they input for a while, right? And because you're processing the language, you're literally filtering it while you're comprehending. So that's what we mean by transfer, transfer learning process. When students are attempting to communicate beyond their level, their current level, and they rely on their L1, um, and then dress it up in a second language because they want to communicate something. That's not transfer. That's what I call a communication strategy. Um, it's, it's one of a number of communication strategies. And so what the learner, the learner, literally going to the learner's head is, I don't know how to say this, so I'm going to think in the L1 and dress it up, and hopefully I'll get my message across. And what that means is the task, the thing you're asking them to do, is beyond their level. That, it, so it's a teacher-induced thing or a task-induced thing. It's not actually a learning issue. So we want to make that distinction, and, and, um, and I think that that is um, you know, a good thing for us to understand. Okay, we got some phone calls coming in. That's good. Um, I see we have Allison from, I think, Chicago calling in. Allison, are you on the line? Yes, hi. Hey, Allison. I'm going to be in Chicago on October the 21st or 22nd for the UIC Bilingualism Forum. Yeah, I heard about it. Yeah. Well, good, good. That's great. What's up? So how's life in Chicago? Good? Um, pretty good, yeah. Well, great. What are you calling about? What's up? Yeah. Um, I was calling because, um, so I teach adult ESL, and um, so this topic is really interesting to me. Um, and, you know, for a lot of ESL teachers, we can't use our students' L1 in the Correct. classroom because, um, you know, often teachers don't know the students' L1, or maybe we have a class with students from a lot of different language backgrounds. Um, so, and I um, actually, I teach at two different programs, one program where the students are native Chinese speakers and the other program where students are native Spanish speakers. 
and I speak a little bit of Spanish, not very much, but enough to use a little bit in the classroom with my beginning level students. And so um, for me, it's really interesting to compare because, oh, and I don't know any Chinese, so I don't use any of the L1 in one class with my native Chinese speakers when teaching them English, but I do in the other class speaking, uh, teaching Spanish speakers. And um, I found that even though it was kind of counterintuitive, but that actually um, in the class with my Spanish speakers, when I do use some of the L1, overall, there's actually a lot less L1 talk going on during class than in the class where I don't use the students L1, um, just because I've found that, you know, students always want to seek out the meaning of the word, uh, usually in their L1. Um, and so obviously I try to use pictures and examples examples and other ways to um, establish meaning. But if students aren't clear on what the meaning is, then they often, you know, turn to their partner and are whispering, what's that word? What's the translation? What is it in our language? Um, sometimes if a lot of students aren't sure, it turns into a big discussion between all the students in the L1. Whereas if I just provide a very quick translation into the L1 for students, then they know the meaning. I know that they know the meaning. It's very quick. We can move on and continue class. So that's just been my experience, that it's a lot more efficient to just quickly use the L1, just translate here and there when it's necessary. Right. Yeah, that's a very good example, Allison. Thank you. Um, and it is more difficult in an ESL context, if, if particularly you have mixed classes. When I taught ESL, I had Arabic speakers, Chinese speakers, Spanish speakers in the class. They were all mixed languages in the class. Um, so mm -hmm. there was no L1 to use in that situation anyway. Uh, but they were more advanced. They usually come from their home countries with a little bit of English already. Um, so when they, pl they place into even our lower levels of ESL, where I was teaching, they, they already had some minor, you know, some low-level ability to comprehend. So um, mm. in your situation, you have different language groups, uh, isolated language groups. So, you know, so, and what you're describing is exactly one of the points I was trying to make in my opening remarks, is that a judicious use of the L1 at the right point keeps students on task. Mm -hmm. And so what you're describing, what happens, for example, maybe in the Chinese group, is that because you can't provide that, and it's not your fault, um, but because you can't provide that, um, then they turn to each other and you get this thing going on and it derails what you're doing because you can't mm -hmm. keep them on task. Um, and so you said it, you thought it was counterintuitive, but it makes perfect sense to me um, that in, this, in the group that's the Spanish speakers, if you can provide an L1 thing now and then for them um, to keep them on task, they stay on task. So I think your mm -hmm. example is really good. It's all about staying on task, how you want them to stay on task. And so sometimes mm -hmm. the use of the L1 like that keeps them on task. So that's a good thing. Right. Well, good. So, yeah. um, so yeah. ESL is right. going well for you. You're having fun doing that? Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, mm -hmm. great, good. Okay, well, if you get a chance, come by and see us at the Bilingualism Forum um, later on in October. We'll be there at the okay. U of I campus, okay? All right, great. Okay, Allison, Thank thanks you. for calling in. Bye, Thank Allison. Okay, have a great afternoon. Bye. Bye. Yeah, that, that, that Allison's example is just great. That's exactly the kind of thing I was referring to. If, you're, if the communicative event, if you want it to keep going and you don't want it to derail, a really quick piece of L1 in there can just keep you on task. Um, and I can give an example. Uh, we've got another caller. Just let me give you my example real quick. I did a demo on Saturday, and people were uh, 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 actually amazed that I used English now and then in my demo. Um, but we were doing, uh, I it was a task-oriented, I, I showed them the task we were headed for, and then I did these activities that were help 
to get you language so you could do the task. And one of my activities had up, and the task was a very simple task for the first day, which is you have to find three people, get their names, um, find out where they're from, and then you have to present them to the class afterwards. Because that was the task. And it was part of a larger task uh, that I, I don't need to go into that we're, we would do three days later. But so this was the mini task for that day. That, so that's where I was headed by the end of my 45 minutes. So I had some activities online. One of the activities I had is I put up on the screen um, some famous actors. They're all from Australia. And so the first one I'll translate in, in from Spanish to English so the, all the audience knows what I, what I was doing. So the first one said, uh, hi, my, uh, I'm an actor. I'm from Australia. Uh, I have an Oscar. Uh, what's my name? Wow, yeah, okay. that's hard. And so, um, <laughs> and so a lot of them didn't know who that was. I go, okay, let's go to number two. And so the next thing was, hi, uh, I, I also am an actor. And I'm also from Australia. And the minute I did that one, the word tambien, which is also in Spanish, was on the screen. So when I hit tambien, I was reading out loud, and when I hit tambien, I just said real quick, also. And I kept going. I can guarantee you that if I had not done that, because that word tambien appears a number of times in that slide, because they were all from Australia, and they were all actors. And I was trying to get them to differentiate based on other cues, right? And so I could just imagine, when I was preparing this, and I was thinking to myself, if I don't tell them what tambien means, I can see people getting hung up and going, what's that tambien? It's like five times on that slide. What does it mean? And they'll get distracted by that word they don't know um, as opposed to paying attention to what I want them to pay attention to, which is my name is, I'm from, I am, and so on. So that's my little example of judicious use of the L1 to keep people on task and not let them get derailed. And this is actually what Terry suggested on Mixler too. She said it's also possible um, to write the L1 on the board and point to it without saying it. Yeah, so absolutely. Oh, perfect. You can do that too. Okay, we have another caller on the line. We have uh, Meredith calling. Meredith, it sounds like you're from the sunny South Atlanta. Are you there? Yes. yes hey, we are. Meredith, sunny how's life hot. in Atlanta? <laughs> it is good. It's, it's hot. It's all is well. Well, We're not quite in fall mode yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, I'll be there next June again in Atlanta for the grant that we're working with Pete Swanson. And uh, yeah. it's always hot as heck when I go down there oh, for, from my perspective. Absolutely. So so what are you calling about? What's definitely. up? Uh, well, it was so funny that this is the topic um, because I was recently, um, what day is today? Thursday, Monday, I was talking to an administrator about about that about use of language because um they're coming in and doing their observations and their little walkthroughs and they always ask about the 90-10 and because they they know that's a thing that's the thing they reference like are we are we at 90 percent how are we doing and uh and i was you know we, we were going back and forth and i realized and it wasn't until i articulated it out loud to this particular sister principal that i use a lot more um uh, L2 exclusively, or not exclusively, but I use a lot more L2, the smaller the class is. And I know that sounds crazy, but those of us that teach, you know, a, in a traditional public setting high school know that we have humongous classes. And in the classes of 36, you know, we mentioned like housekeeping things, but in the classes of 36, um, as opposed to, you know, 26 or, or whatever, uh, I find myself using a lot more English for housekeeping things, but also just managerial things, you know, which I think begs the, the kind of brings up the issue of, uh, you know, your management and your procedures and all those kind of things, because I, I think what the administrators in my conversation led to was how 
much the use of either language in each classroom also uh, you know, can either help or hurt your procedures, can help or hurt your, your class culture, your rapport, like all those things that we as language teachers have to juggle at the beginning of the year, getting to know your kids, but also you know, starting out strong and setting the tone. We have to do that and basically kind of choose what language we do which in, which she hadn't really thought about, so she thought that was interesting. And then as I was saying it out loud, I realized, yeah, the bigger the class and the more moving parts, I think it becomes more multifaceted, at least at the secondary level, which has been has always been my experience. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or if I'm articulating that well, but it, does, it, it was kind of a self-realization. It makes perfect sense to me because what the larger the group, <clears throat> the more you have mob rule going on and you have to control Absolutely. the mob. It's harder to control Absolutely. the mob. Mm-hmm. Where the smaller the yeah. group, the more you can be intimate with them. <clears throat> Excuse me, I got a little frog in my throat. Um, so the more you can be, not intimate, but the more you can, you, you monitor their faces better. It's easy to get Absolutely. around the classroom. Mm-hmm. If you've got 36 kids, that's, that's, a, and so sometimes you revert more to the L1 because it's faster to get something done that way with that larger group Absolutely. and to maintain control it's of that larger group. And it's easier, exactly. And I think yeah. depending on, for me, depending on how, you know, if you, if you've used the L2 for good or for evil, uh, because some people, you know, it's just, that's what we're doing. And right. then the kids shut down. Right. I think depending on that approach, um, yeah, with 36, it can go south quickly or they can shut down. Or like you said, it's, it, you know, they've got their little pitchforks and they're like, say it in English, you know, or whatever. I think there's, there's a way to go about it. And, right. um, and it's, I find those conversations always rewarding because you go, oh, thank God, it's not just me. You know, they'll leave and you go, oh, well, that was a lot of English today. But, you know, there's 36 of them and we got some things done. But it certainly is um, a different, uh, just a, a, it's an onion, I guess. You know, right. it's just like another layer of, of the of sort of the, the theory put in practice. I don't know. I just found that interesting. And the administrator hadn't thought of that. So I was like, oh, good. Well, think of that <laughs> next time you come in. To my class of forty, thank you. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. So, and my guess yeah. is too that as as the semester, the term progresses, you probably could do. You'd probably wind up doing a, if you actually tracked yourself. You'd probably wind up using a little less English than you did at the beginning. Absolutely. For oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. So yeah, yeah. exactly. So, yeah, yeah. So you have to invite the administrator back at a later point and see the difference. Right. Exactly. Come back. Yeah. There you go. Well, thanks, Meredith. That was a great observation. Great comment. Appreciate oh, of that. Of course. Yeah. No problem. Thank okay. you. Great. Okay. Bye, Meredith. Bye, Meredith. Bye, bye. Oh, we love it when people call from Atlanta. We love it when people call from Atlanta. Um, okay. Um, uh, we haven't had anybody calling for the SLA question yet, oh, so let me remind man, people yeah. what the SLA question is because <clears throat> I'm going to give them one more minute to call in after I read the question, um, and then I'm going to go to the diva question. Okay, so here's the SLA challenge question. Which scholars ushered in the contemporary era of empirical L2 research with their groundbreaking and somewhat controversial study on morpheme order acquisition in the early 1970s. See, people, we've been around for a while doing empirical research on L2 stuff. We don't just, you know, pull this out of our hat. Okay, Angelica, do you have a quote for everybody today? I sure do. Awesome. Ding, ding, ding. It's Angelica's quote time. The excitement. Okay, today's Yeah. Today's quote is from uh, James Lee. From his book titled Tasks and Communicating in Language Classrooms. And here it goes. It's a quick one. Here's a quote. I am not unique in believing that until instructors alter their beliefs about testing, very little will change in the classroom. There you have it. Say that again. I like that one. 
I am not unique in believing that until instructors alter their beliefs about testing, very little will change in the classroom. Ah, uh-huh, there you go. In other words, it's all about backwash and, and that testing dries what we do. Mm-hmm. Yep. <coughs> backwash or wash back? <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Back, what is it? Wash back? What did I say? Backwash? Wash back? <laughs> no, wash back. Wash back. <laughs> did I just have an Alice moment? <laughs> Thank you, Walter. I, I like backwash too. I mean, don't we all need our backs washed every now and then? I don't yeah, know. yeah. Well, that could be something else. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should talk about testing next week. Maybe we'll bring that up again. There's, I think there's some, that's an interesting, maybe we use that as our, our thing about yeah. people, people's beliefs about testing. Um, well, good. Thank you for that. Um, okay. Um, then we have, oh, another caller coming in. I was about to read something else, but we're going to take a call all the way from the great Bay State. What's the Bay State, Walter? Massachusetts. There you go. Can you sing that song? I bet John learned, if John is from Massachusetts as a kid, he remember that song I sang before? M-A-S-S-A-C-H-U-S-E-T-T-S. Okay, never mind. John, are you there on the line? I am. And do you know that song, M-A-S-S-A? You don't know that song? I, I have to be honest, I have never heard that song before. Okay, maybe it's my age. I, I learned it on TV sometime when I was a kid or something. I don't know. I, anyway. So, uh, what's, going on, what's going on in Massachusetts? Oh, all sorts of stuff. So, I have a question. I am a Latin teacher. I thought I'd say that first. I'm a Latin teacher. <laughs> Latin teacher. John just came out as a Latin teacher. Look at that. <laughs> yep, yep. I just had to confess. So... Uh, so my question is... You know, when I was an altar boy, I used to do my confessions in Latin. Just kidding. Go. Oh, dude. <laughs> you just said, I love it. He, said he, was gonna confe- so he just said he was going to confess in Latin. He confessed his Latin. So I said, I used to do it. Well, never mind. Go ahead. Awesome. So my big question is, so the debate in the Latin teaching world is less so about quantity of L2, but whether or not L2 should be used at all. Mm-hmm. And the argument that gets made on the side of not using L2 is that there's something unique about Latin that makes it somehow irrelevant to teach using L2. And I was wondering if you had any perspective on that sort of point of view. Of, is there something about certain languages that, that somehow makes it so that more or less target language should be used in the, in the teaching of it? Um, it, you know, John, from my perspective, it all comes down to goals. What it is that people want? Um, and even even if you had, I mean, if you want a knowledge about Latin, and that's all you wanted, about Latin, then, you know, the use of the L2 in the class, you can make an argument either way, and both would be acceptable. Um, but the minute you do things like, you know, read Latin or comprehend the written text, I mean, then there, there's cases for using the L2 in the classroom because y- even the buildup of comprehension through oral Latin has going to have an impact on reading, at least in the early stages, if not in the longer run, too, um, because it's all related. Don't, uh, you know, and so so my, my answer is it just depends on the goals. Um, and you know, and I understand the argument. I mean, when I took Latin way back when, um, it was basically there was no Latin use. You just talked about Latin, you translated sentences, uh, and so on. So there was no use of Latin for a communicative purpose in the classroom. Um, but even so, I mean, what's e- even for languages that that are made up like Klingon, or yeah. for languages like Esperanto, 
if you want people to know these things, there's nothing wrong with making that L2 used in the classroom. Because the bottom line is this, John. It doesn't yeah. hurt. You know, so it doesn't hurt. And so if it, if it doesn't hurt what you eventually want to do and where you're going I and mean, where the students are going, what the goals are, then use the L2 in the classroom. That's, it, there's nothing wrong with it, even if it's Latin. It's only a dead language because nobody wants to speak it. But if you speak it, it's no longer a dead language, is it? Oh, no, I could not agree more. Couldn't you, couldn't you could be in the grocery store talking about someone behind their back in Latin and they had no <laughs> idea what you're saying? Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, so no, I I've can't believe I've he got there. me 10 items or less uh, lane, and there he is with his cart full. I could just see you doing that in Latin, you know, right? <laughs> Hey, so hey, I'm a friend of Lance, and we've definitely done things like that. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Well, I, I, I'm not getting in front of you guys. And actually, I probably could understand you, though. So I'm not going to get in front of you guys. Oh, you're totally good. All right. Okay, well, John, thanks for your question. Thanks for calling. Oh, no problem. I really appreciate it. You guys are the best. Okay, well, thanks no, for calling, the best. John. Thank you so Bye, much. Bye, John. Okay, oh, no dokies. I am going to. Uh, I like that there's something about. There's all these Latin teachers from Massachusetts. I know. That funny? That's great. I know. It's awesome. Okay, um, we've got somebody who's going to, uh, I think, take the SLA challenge question in a minute. Before we do that, I'm going to throw out the Diva challenge question because we, yeah. we only have a little while left in the show, and I want to make sure so people get that. This is so easy. Even Walter could answer this. Wow. So I'm going to put the question out now, and you have 10 minutes to call in. And here's the question. Which Diva famously sang, you better think, think about what you're trying to do to me? Walter, I repeat, you know the answer? which diva famously sang, you better think, think about what you're trying to do to me. Can you put it like in yeah. the song? And then no, maybe because I, I, no, 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 I'm not going to do that because that gets too do much you? away. Because you know me, I'll start doing it like the person and you can tell who it is. So, all right. So we have Faith on the line. Faith from Illinois. Another call from the Chicago area from Evanston. Hey, Faith, how are you doing? How's it going? It's going great. How's life in Chicago? Well, Evanston, actually. How's life in Evanston today? Evanston is great. We're doing cool. well here. Are you calling to take the SLA challenge question? Uh, I could do either, whichever you want. Well, SLA. SLA. Because we've been waiting for someone to call in on that one, even though it's past the 10-minute deadline. We're going to give it to you. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repeat the question, and then you're going to give us the answer, correct? Okay. Okay, so which scholars ushered in the contemporary era of empirical second language research with their groundbreaking and somewhat controversial study on morpheme order acquisition in the early 1970s? Faith, the answer is? <laughs> I have one, not two. Uh, Roger Brown. Okay. Is that one of them? Um, what do you mean? Well, one or two? You said you have one. If you said you have two, what's what's the other choice? Uh, that's actually the only one I'm thinking of. Oh, for, okay. For that early. Okay, okay. Well, we're gonna send you a coaster anyway, for <laughs> even though. But just we're not sending you a full set because you didn't quite get the answer right because you mis you misinterpreted or. Or Can you repeat the question? Sure. Which scholars ushered in the contemporary area of empirical second language research with their groundbreaking? study on morpheme order acquisition. Oh, you're right. I did misinterpret. Okay. And so well, how did you know how you misinterpret it? Uh, second language, not first language. Yep. Right. Roger yep. Brown is known for that in the, in the first language acquisition yes. literature. Um, and it was because of his work that these other people in the L2 context said, I wonder if we can find out in the L2 context if learners of English do what these learners of English do in an L1 situation. Huh. So that ring a bell? Does that help at all? 
Sure. Uh, not to give you a name, but... but okay. All right. Should I withhold uh, giving the name, see if anybody else calls in at the last minute? Okay. We'll withhold the name, but we will actually, Faith, for your try, we're going to send you at least a coaster. How's that? That sounds great. Okay. So make sure you give your information to Dustin, and we'll get something off to you. Sounds good. Thanks. Thanks, Faith. Okay. Thanks bye-bye. for calling, Faith. Bye, Faith. Bye, Faith. Okay. Oh, I just got a little flag from Dustin or somebody saying that. Is there another caller who wants to do the SLA question? Okay, we're going to put that person up before we go to the, any diva questions, any other people. So we have um, Rachel, it looks like. Do we have Rachel on the line? Yes. Hey, Rachel, where are you calling from? Hey, New Orleans, represent. Mm, nice. Wow. Yay. I think you're our first Louisiana caller, isn't she? Am I really? I don't, I don't think know. I ever remember really? anybody calling from oh. either Baton Rouge or, or New Orleans or anything like that. So, well, if not, if not, it's still a delight to have you on, even if you're not the first Louisiana caller, Rachel. Well, I could, you could send me a plaque for the second caller from Louisiana. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, only if you answer the question. Are you calling to answer the SLA challenge question? Um, I'm going to do my best. Okay. Hopefully, I don't geek out too much. But I'm okay, and as back. usual, I have to repeat the question. So, okay, w- which scholars ushered in the contemporary era of empirical second language research with their groundbreaking and somewhat controversial study on morpheme order acquisition in the early 1970s? Rachel, who do you say are these scholars? Um, would it be um, Bert and Dewey, possibly? And ding, 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 yeah. Okay, Ah. Rachel gets the full set of coasters. Poor Faith only got one coaster. She got Roger Brownwright, which I think was impressive. Um, But yes, Heidi (laughs) Dulay, or Dulay, and Marina Burt, they published a series of papers, sometimes with Dulay and Burt, sometimes with Burt and Dulay. Um, Really important research, because that was the first contemporary uh, empirical research in L2 acquisition. Um, and it literally launched the current field. So everybody should know that study. And for those of you who are out there who don't know what morpheme order acquisition is, it's uh, just research on, you take different uh, morphemes like ing on the end of verbs and s on the end of verbs and past tense marking on the verbs and articles and then uh, possessive s on nouns. Um, and these are all called morphemes um, or morphological markings. Um, and then you look to see how, what order they come out and how learners get these, uh, get these under control over time. And what was interesting is for, for um, at least the way I analyzed them, I went back and reanalyzed them in, in the early 80s and found that the L1 and L2 orders were actually quite similar. They're, definitely, they're, they're the same for the verb phrase and auxiliary component um, between L1 and L2, which was really, really amazing. Um, and in the noun phrase, there's a little bit more variability between L1 and L2, but there's still, regardless, there's fixed orders of development over time, whether you're L1 learner or L2 learner. So, Well, thank you, Rachel, for calling in with that answer. So you stay in the line and make sure you give Dustin your information so we can get those coasters off to you, okay? All right, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, do yeah. you guys have time? Could I ask you a quick question? You sure? Yeah, sure. we got a couple minutes here. Go ahead. Okay, um, well... Um, I'm a high school teacher here uh, at a public school, and um, I was just curious, uh, a colleague and of mine were talking the other day about um, my students' use of English, and I teach Spanish, and um, uh, we were talking about their use of English in the classroom, even when I'm really, really trying to get them to stay in the L2. Um, just, just out of curiosity, um, how much would you say that your students 
stay in L2 in your, in your courses? Um, is, is there kind of like a percentage on average that they stay on a daily basis? Yeah, I, I would say it, 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 in observations of Wal- Walter sees more classes than I do. I watch them on videotapes, and Wal- Walter actually goes and observes physically. He's there. Um, but I would say it's almost the, the, the image of the teacher, which is 90, 90% in the second language. Mm-hmm. Um, and, okay. the, and the reason is because of the, uh, w- what we strive to do is constantly give learners tasks they can actually do in the second language. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they don't need to use their L1 um, to do the task. Now, when they're done with the task, and because every little, it, like, let's say they're in groups of three and they're doing tasks, of course mm-hmm. what will happen is while they're waiting for the teacher to g- bring the class back together or go to the next step, you know, they might turn down Gallica and say, so where'd you go last night? You know, and just, they'll do a quick mm-hmm. English conversation because they're done with the task. But the task yeah. we asked them to perform was done in Spanish or done in French. Um, okay, gotcha. And so, and, and if you watch TPRS classes, for example, teachers um, who do TPRS classes or people with high levels of input in the classroom um, often are very good about um, structuring the class hours so that students can do what is being asked of them and they don't have to revert to the L1. Um, students resort to the L1 when they're bored or they have nothing to do or we ask them mm-hmm. to do things that they can't do. So. And I'm assuming you mean L- use the L1 to actually get stuff done as opposed to, every, you know, every student says in French or German or Russian, how do you say X in Russian? How do you say Y? I mean, that, that throwing out that yeah. word in English to me is not a, not a use of the L1. In my, they're just ask, they're appealing for assistance. They're not really using the L1. So, Walter, would you agree okay, with me about gotcha. that? Yeah, I would say that's about right. Yeah, yeah. So. I think, but I think exactly what you said is it, as long as you prepare them to be able to do what you've asked them to do is, is the right. key. What was interesting was, uh, like the demo I did on Saturday, um, there um, there was uh, nobody in the group that I was teaching had a same L1, except for this mm. married couple. They were both uh, Arabic speakers. Um, and so the observers were watching in the audience, and some of them were not Spanish speakers at all. And so it was interesting to see how they react. But they, I structured the 45 minutes I was teaching with them, and they didn't once use any English, because the way I structured the class is they didn't have to. And then when mm-hmm. I turned them loose to do the task at the end that I prepared them for, they did it all in Spanish without any English with the audience. Because I turned them loose and made them go back in the observers and get the information and bring it back. And then they had to present. Um, and so y- if, if you structure your class in a certain way, then um, you, can get, you can maximize the, again, not structure your class, structure your tasks in a certain way. You can maximize the LTU use by the students as well. Okay. Okay, Rachel, right. well, thanks for the call and thanks for the question. That was a good question. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Oh. I really enjoy listening. Oh, well, thank you, Rachel. You're a sweetheart. Thank you. Thanks for calling in. Thanks, Rachel. Yay, Louisiana called in. Yay. We love Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, has anybody here ever tasted alligator? Yes. Have you had alligator? Because mm-hmm. I think you can get Cajun alligator in Louisiana. I've never had it, so. Yeah, I well, why didn't Detroit. you ask Rachel when she was on the phone? Because you know me, my rule is I don't eat anything with more than two legs. I would never eat alligator anyway, but still. <laughs> That's true. It's got four legs. I wouldn't eat it, but... but. Somebody says it tastes like chicken. Is it that true? Does, yeah. It does. Yeah. Everything tastes like chicken if it it's not pink. Cow. Oh well. Okay. Um, we have. Uh, let me repeat the diva question for people out there. We got a few minutes left. We, yeah, we got about seven minutes left for people to call in for this question. Uh, which diva famously sang, "You better think, think about what you're trying to do to me." Call in and win your set of coasters. 
Uh, even if you already have coasters in your house, you can give these away as Christmas presents, right? Mm, or true. Hanukkah yeah. presents or Kwanzaa presents or or you can f- flick them like Frisbees at your boss when you're getting upset at a meeting or something. So they're coming <laughs> very handy for all kinds of reasons. I shouldn't say that I'm promoting violence, right? I shouldn't. That's not violent to just toss a coaster. That's not really violence. Um, yeah, so... Um, what do we I have a question. Walter has a question. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I would. Well. All right, here we go. This is from Nehemiah. Who? This is, na- this is his name, Nehemiah. Oh, Nehemiah, like Nehemiah Johnson. And he's writing Jeremiah from Johnson. India. And he says, Yay, greetings. India. Greetings, BVP team. In regards to L1 language use, one of my Spanish classes is very small, five students, but their native languages, Urdu, Gujarati, Hindi and Thai, and English proficiency are all very different. At times, I have to clarify a new word or a direction in English, but then some of the English language learners don't understand, and then we have to spend time defining the word in English. I try to use visuals whenever possible, but sometimes it's just hard to find one that fits. Any suggestions? Yeah, I don't understand why... Why this is an example where I this is why I allow students to have dictionaries or we allow people to look something up on on word reference or something, um, at least in the context. I don't know in the context this person teaches if people sitting there with laptops or have access to the internet during class or not. But at least they could have dictionaries and you just tell people if they don't say the teacher what mean that, look it up, look it up real quick, go you got ten seconds do it look it up, and let them look it up in their native language and then and then you just keep doing something and they go oh, okay. And then they keep, and then you go on with whatever you're doing. So um, what uh, what often happens? I mean, we've seen this before sometimes when in the classes we observe where people are going on and on trying to explain something and and gesture it and draw it and and, it, and you're ten minutes trying to get one word across and you've derailed your activity when you could have just said it or given people the chance to look it up a lot faster and then your task would move on. So again, it's always about in the communicative event, keeping the communication flowing and not trying to derail the task you're on. Look at that example. Think about that example um, I gave earlier. Um, People often assume that you can stay in the L2 easily. How would you, Walter, and Angelica, how would you gesture, draw, act out the word also? This This is the first day of Spanish. Walter's making gestures over here. I thought it looked like you were just. What was it? Was it looked like you're doing a hashtag? Mm-hmm. Times two. <laughs> Times yeah. two. It's hard. I would be going like, yeah. what? Yeah. I'd be going like, yeah. what the hell does that yeah. mean? No, it's you, hard. You can't. So sometimes the most quickest and rapid thing to do is do the, use the L1 or let students yeah. look it up. Look this up real quick. I'll give you. I'll give you ten seconds. And students are incredibly fast at looking things up. Um, and then you know, and then you can do things like, oh, love. You go, I draw a heart on the board. Well, how do they know that means love? It could mean your heart. It could mean Valentine's Day. You know, you, it, it, this, is the context always clear that's going to be love? And so there's just sometimes, sometimes, yeah, if you can stay in the L1 real quick, do it. I mean, the L2, do it. But if it's faster to do in the L1 so you can keep the communication, the task going, then slip in the L1 and keep going. There. I said it again. All right. No diva, nobody's calling about that. Well, people have been discussing this on Mixler. The diva? Yeah, of course. They but know they who don't, it is. Yeah, they do. Okay, well, but they that don't doesn't call count. In. That I doesn't know, count. I know it doesn't. That doesn't count. That doesn't count. I guess people don't want our wonderful coasters. We're going to have to start giving new swag out or something. Yeah. I use my coasters at home that I have. I have tea with BBP coasters. They're wonderful. I, I don't have too. any. 
Oh, you uh, don't? You don't have any? Oh, maybe you should take. take maybe yeah. you should yeah. take the diva. I'll take the if diva nobody quiz. calls in I'll in the next the minute, Walter's going to do the diva quiz. Oh, it's quiz. a diva question or whatever. Yeah. you should be grateful that it's just a question. So I'm going to give. I'm going to give one more minute for people to call. If they don't, then Walter's going to get the. La- I feel like Lawrence O'Donnell. You're going to get the last word, <laughs> and you can do the uh, diva question and win your coasters and take them home. So yeah. So um, so what else are people discussing on Mixler or Twitter or email or anything else? I could read, oh, here, oh, by the way, back to the thing that Luca gave me, the, um, the, the, use of the L1, yeah, is it ever appropriate to use L1 in classroom, so when? Um, the, um, uh, Craig, I couldn't get there, I couldn't get his name out, Craig says, to establish meaning and build relationships, I say yes, turns out more than two languages can fit in a brain, yeah, so, anyway, um, yeah, there's, and don't forget that you know the 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 second language classroom is a, is a context in which there are two languages, and so it's you're telling people to suppress something two. that's natural. So at least two. Okay, so oh my gosh, are we having a repeat call? Yeah. Who, <laughs> who is this? <laughs> this is Faith again. I think I'm gonna actually get it right now. <laughs> Faith from Evanston's awesome. calling in. She's gonna redeem herself. So we know the answer is not Roger Brown. So let me repeat the question. Well, maybe he did sing this. I don't know. But okay, which diva famously sang, "You better think, think about what you're trying to do to me." Faith, the answer is Aretha Franklin. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay, we like people who don't give up. Good for you, Faith. <laughs> Tenacity. That was that's what it's all about. Faith, I'm mad now Franklin. because I really wanted some of those coasters. But you know what? Walter can have the one that Faith would have gotten, and Faith. Oh, there you go. Before. It's my gift to you. <laughs> there you go. Oh, Very thanks, kind. Faith. There you go. <laughs> well, great. Yes, that was. And Faith, I'll tell you what. Um, we'll take that coaster back from Walter, and get, and you'll have five <laughs> if you can answer this follow-up question. Okay. What was Aretha Franklin's nickname? It still sort of is, but particularly back when she, in her first two decades, what was her nickname? Wow. I don't know, but I feel like it should have the word queen in it. Uh, uh-huh. She was the queen Okay, if you don't know, then okay. The Walter, queen of pop, the queen of soul. Uh, there, the <laughs> queen of soul, the queen of soul. Aretha was the queen of soul. Yes. All right. Still oh, is. That's, that's still five is. Coasters now. Anybody see that Snickers commercial where she's in the car? Okay. Anyway. Okay, Faith. We'll give your information to Dustin, and we'll get those coasters out to you. Sorry, Thanks Walter. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, Faith. Thanks. Bye. I like people who stick with it. You know, they say, "I'm not going to go. I'm going to go back and get one right now." There you go. Good for Faith. All right. Well, it looks like we need to start wrapping up here because it's the time is a slipping away from us. So I shall get to my acknowledgments. Shall I do my acknowledgments, Walter? You shall. Okay. I had lots more I wanted to say, but that's okay. Okay. Well, here we go. <laughs> well, as usual, our time is up. We're going to do our thank yous. We'd like to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trego. Thank you, Daniel. Yay. Our media producer, Luca Giappone. Thanks for all the work on the survey this week. That was fun. The talented and trusted call handler and muscle man, Dustin DeFelice. Our wonderful assistant production manager, Jeff Maloney. The College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University, especially our wonderful dean, Christopher Long. Love him. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors, or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And of course, we want to thank all of you out there listening and calling in. Our topic next week is going to be on testing, I decided. So we'll send that out to you. Um, And you'll get that in the newsletter. Until then, have a great weekend. Have a great beginning of the next week. Because we won't see you until Thursday. 
and happy second language acquisition to everybody. You guys know what to do. Tschüss, bis nächste Woche. Tschüss, mm-hmm. tschüss, Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Two's company. Three's a dysfunctional family, I tell you. See y'all next week. We'll talk to y'all next week. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.